something that is, I think, pretty much true for most people. It's very true about me, and I would say it's probably true for most of you, is that we really forget most of what we hear in sermons. It's kind of an interesting human trait. We really forget most of what we hear when somebody preaches, and that's not a slam. That's not a cut down. It's just you really don't remember that much of what you hear from a sermon. I mean, for example, I've been going to church most of my life, and I've got 30-plus years of sermons I've heard, and I don't really remember that much specifically. It's not to say it doesn't impact you. It's not to say that God doesn't you know, get it in your heart, whether you can actually mentally recall it or not, but we just actually don't remember that much. One of the things that we talk about in preaching classes and seminary is your audience is going to remember maybe one thing you said. And you don't know what that one thing is going to be. You hope it's your main point, but it might be the fact that you told a bad joke. It might be the fact that you were coughing when you were speaking. It might be they remember the scripture, but they don't know what you said about it. But we just don't remember that much of what we hear in sermons. I'll tell you this about me, and this is God's honest truth. I preach on a regular basis, and I really forget what I preach. And that's not an exaggeration. Like, if you ask me on Tuesday what I preach today, it's going to take me a second to remember. I'll be like, uh... I'll probably just say Jesus to be safe, but I'll really be like, I don't really remember. And so we just don't remember that much from what we hear. That's why, for example, like politicians, they have like those two or three word slogans because that's pretty much anybody knows about them. You know, they come up with the shortest slogan because we just don't retain that much information. But it's interesting because every now and then, and I think this is probably true for most of you and it's true for me, you hear a sermon that you remember. Like you actually hear a sermon that sticks with you for whatever reason, but just God speaks to you through it and it just sticks with you and you're able to remember it. Not that you remember it word for word, but it was really impactful and you were just like, oh man, that sermon I heard last year, five years ago, or this church, whatever, it it just sticks with us. Um, One such sermon for me was probably almost 18 years ago now. It was back in September of 1999. I was a freshman at the University of Georgia and I had started going to the Wesley Foundation there and, you know, the Wesley Foundation at UGA, some of you know this, probably most of you don't, it's one of the greatest things God's doing anywhere. It is one of the coolest news of God I've ever seen. And I was listening to this sermon by a guy named Steve Hambrick, and he was preaching about John the Baptist. And I'd grown up in church, I was a Christian, and I thought I knew John the Baptist, but this sermon was just unbelievable. And learning about who John the Baptist was, how God used him, why he was so great, I was just blown away. And it was just one of those sermons that just stuck with me. It was so impactful and transformational for me personally. And today we're going to talk about John the Baptist a little bit. And I'm not up here saying that my sermon is going to be nearly as impactful for you, but just I just want you to know I love talking about John the Baptist because he is one of the coolest and weirdest people in the Bible, but he is an awesome dude. And so I'm just excited to talk about him. Now, John the Baptist, in case you don't know, um, because there's a couple different Johns in the Bible, John the Baptist, he's a New Testament person, and he's in all four Gospels, and he is the forerunner of Jesus. He was the guy who came. He was the guy God raised up who preached and prepared the nation of Israel for the fact that the Messiah was about to show up. So John the Baptist, he comes, and he starts telling everybody, hey, the Messiah's coming. Get ready. And that was his message, and he just baptized people in the Jordan River. So his story is at the beginning of each gospel, pretty much, if you want to read more about him. But that's who John the Baptist was. You know, not to be confused with, for example, there is a gospel of John written by John the disciple, but they're different people. So I just want to be clear, that's who we're talking about. 
Now, just in general, it's a really important thing when you talk about biblical characters in the Bible. It's important just to note, it is so important to study people in the Bible. For your own personal growth and your own personal discipleship, it's really important to study the people in the Bible. And the reason it's important is God put these people in his word for a reason. And he put these people in his word. They will be in his word forever. And we're supposed to read about them and learn from them. And there's all sorts of people in the Bible, people that loved God, people that didn't, people that were good followers of Jesus, people that were terrible sinners. And we're supposed to learn about these people, how they did things right, what they did wrong. And so it's so important to study biblical characters. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. And John the Baptist is certainly one of those. In fact, I would put him, I can't say he's the most important person in the Bible, but he's got to be near the top of the list. And so he's a really cool, interesting guy. And really for John the Baptist, he's really in a category, a unique category. I would almost say he's in a category by himself in terms of biblical characters. And the reason I say that is this. This is what Jesus said about John the Baptist. It's pretty cool. Jesus said, if I can get this up, there's a verse somewhere. Yes, there it is. Okay. This is what Jesus said about John the Baptist. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Now, that's an incredible statement by Jesus about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is saying, I'm sorry, Jesus is saying about John the Baptist, this is the greatest guy who has ever lived. Think about that. Imagine if Jesus said that about you. I'd feel pretty good if he said that about me. Now, let me explain the context here. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is the greatest person who's ever lived. He's the son of God, so he's number one, and everybody else is, you know, infinitely in second. But what Jesus is saying is, of all the sinful, broken people who've ever lived up until this point in history, John the Baptist is the greatest guy ever. That's pretty remarkable. That's an incredible endorsement from Jesus. Of all the sinful, broken people, which is everybody but Jesus, Jesus is saying John is the greatest among them at the time when Jesus makes this statement. Now, that's pretty cool when you think about there are some amazing followers of the Lord that predate John, and he bypasses all of them. I mean, he is greater than Moses. He's greater than Samuel. He's greater than Deborah or Esther. He's greater than Elijah, King David, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these great, like, Hall of Fame followers of God. John the Baptist is greater than all of them. And so because Jesus says this about him, he's like, man, this is the greatest guy ever. This is somebody we really need to get to know. And we really need to study because he's really, really important. So what I want to do is I want to start by just telling you the story of John the Baptist so you can get to know him a little bit. So let me read to you the scripture. This is from Mark chapter 1. And this is just a quick summary. It's kind of the shortest description, but it'll give you an idea who John the Baptist is. And I don't know if my remote's working. Sorry. I got this remote this week and I was super psyched about it. Wait, we want to, this is a free service, don't get critical, this is a tight, we don't run a tight ship here, okay, we're not charging you to be here, there we go, all right, so this is Mark's description of John the Baptist, in the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him 
in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to, to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, um, and here's John the Baptist. This, this is so cool. All right, let me tell you, his story starts actually hundreds of years before he even lives. Back in Isaiah the prophet, who's an Old Testament prophet, this is about 700 years before John lives. But in Isaiah 40, the Holy Spirit tells John the Baptist, I'm sorry, he tells Isaiah about John the Baptist. He's like, hey, there's this guy coming, and I want you to write it down that there's a forerunner coming, and his name is going to be John the Baptist. And God tells Isaiah to write it down that there's this awesome guy coming who's going to come right before Jesus. And I love the fact that God was already talking about John the Baptist long before he ever lived. All right, he was talking about John the Baptist way before he was alive. God was so excited about John the Baptist, he couldn't help but talk about him. And he wanted Isaiah to write it down that this guy is coming. And so fast forward 700 years to John the Baptist's parents. He had a parent, his parents were named Zechariah and then Elizabeth. And they were this great godly couple, but they were an older couple. They'd never had kids. She was barren. And so Zechariah was a priest, which basically means he was a pastor in his day. And Zechariah was at the temple one day doing his job. And all of a sudden, this angel Gabriel shows up. And Gabriel shows up in the temple and starts talking to John the Baptist. And he's like, hey, John, or sorry, talking to Zechariah about John the Baptist. All these names are floating in my head. He starts talking to Zechariah. He's like, hey, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. He's going to be the forerunner of Jesus. It's going to be awesome. And Zechariah does not believe him. He starts arguing with the angel, which is just like, how do you have the guts to argue with an angel who shows up? But he's like, I'm not, I'm old, my wife's barren, we're not going to have a kid. But Gabriel, the angel's like, nope, you're going to have a kid, it's going to be great. And it's kind of an odd thing that happens here. The angel Gabriel tells him, he goes, because you didn't believe me, you're not going to be able to talk till after your son is born. And instantly, Zechariah goes mute, which is kind of strange, but he can't talk. But Zechariah goes home, finds Elizabeth, and I want to keep it PG, they do mommy and daddy things. She gets pregnant. John's on his way, okay? We got to keep it clean in here. So Elizabeth gets pregnant with John the Baptist. And during her pregnancy, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's pregnant with Jesus at this time. She goes to visit Elizabeth. And Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. And so when Mary shows up, she starts talking. And the second her voice, Elizabeth hears it, John, who's inside Elizabeth, in her womb, leaps for joy at the sound of Mary's voice. And it's just amazing that John loved Jesus even before he was born. Even in the womb, he loved Jesus. And just hearing Mary's voice, who was carrying Jesus while Elizabeth was carrying John, John loved Jesus with all his heart. And so John is born, and he grows up. We don't know much about his childhood. And all of a sudden, Luke's gospel tells us one day, John just moves into the desert like a weirdo. He just gets up and he moves. We don't know how old he is, but John knew his calling. He knew he was to be the forerunner of Jesus. He was going to be a prophet. And one day, he goes out to the desert. And the reason he goes out to the desert is prophets come from the desert. Whether literally or figuratively or spiritually, prophets go out to be alone with God 
to find his presence in his voice. They go through the school of hard knocks. And John goes out there. You know, he's supposed to be from in the spirit and power of Elijah from the Old Testament. And Elijah lived in the desert. So John goes out into the desert to find the Lord's presence and to become his mouthpiece. And so we don't know how long John is out there. Might have been a weekend. I'm going to guessing it was several years because it takes a long time for God to shape a prophet. And it's important to note John's out in the desert. And to un- it's important to understand the spiritual climate of the nation of Israel at this time. They're under Roman rule. They're not a free nation, and there has been no prophet for 400 years. So the voice of God has not been amongst the people for that long. You know, coincidentally, that's as long as they were in slavery in Egypt was 400 years. So God has not spoken to the people in all this time. So the nation is just so spiritually dry and hungry, and they are waiting and hoping for the Messiah. And so John comes back into this circumstance, if you will. And he comes back to civilization. And we thought it was weird that John went and lived in the desert. Well, things get really weird when he comes back. So John comes back, and he is really strange. We read about it says that he wears camel skin for clothes. So I guess John killed a camel, skinned it, made a shirt and pants. I don't know what he did, and that's what he wears for clothes. And so that's... I don't care who you are, that's not normal. That's really weird. But my favorite thing in this is that it says he had a leather belt around his waist. Like, that somehow saved the outfit. Like, it was weird that he was wearing camel skin, but, oh, he's got a belt. We can still take him to a nice dinner. It's, like, such a strange detail to include. It's like, oh, man, that was embarrassing you were wearing that, but that belt's pretty good. Okay, John, you're good. But he has a leather belt. I don't know why that's in there, but they make sure we know he's got a belt. And then it talks about his diet, and it says he ate locust and wild honey. You think dieting's hard. Forget Weight Watchers, forget South Beach, do the John the Baptist. Eat bugs and drink wild honey right off the plant, whatever honey comes from. That's what John the Baptist ate. That's all he ate. That would be really hard. And so I'm guessing that he probably didn't smell that great. I mean, he probably wasn't clean. We don't even know if he had shoes or sandals. But this guy comes back to civilization. And just to kind of get an idea of this, I think I used to think, oh, yeah, John the Baptist. Maybe he was like, he sounds kind of weird, but maybe back then that was kind of normal. Like, just imagine, as weird as you think he would be today, that's how weird he was back then when he shows up. Like, he wasn't normal. I bet everybody was like, wow. I bet his family was like, oh, my gosh. John, are you kidding me? And so I don't know that this is right, but I just kind of like picture, I know this is not right, but I just like picture Gollum but taller. Like that's what I think when I think of John the Baptist. Like, you know, I mean, you just read about John the Baptist and you're like, this is the worst online dating profile I've ever heard. Like this guy is so strange. But John starts preaching and it's unbelievable. He starts preaching, and the whole nation goes to see him. He is so anointed, and God is so on him, and the nation turns and prepares their heart for Jesus. He is so full of the Holy Spirit. He has so much unction, anointing, power, whatever word you want to use. I mean, God is just on him. And he starts baptizing people in the Jordan River, and he has a very kind of simple ministry. All he does is people come to him, and he just says, repent repent, repent, repent. That's all he tells people, and then he baptizes them. 
And he was telling them to repent to get their heart ready for the Messiah because the Messiah is coming. And he baptizes hundreds of thousands of people. Some scholars estimate he might have baptized upwards of a million people. Now, that's incredible when you think back in the day with Jesus. That's a huge, I mean, that's a huge number today, but that's a really big number back then. But hundreds of thousands of people come out to him because he is so anointed, and they're getting ready for the Messiah. And then John's ministry reaches kind of this climax. He gets to baptize Jesus. It's a really cool scene. Jesus comes to get baptized, and John's like, you're the Messiah. you got to baptize me. I can't baptize you. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you do it, which would be, that would be so cool to baptize Jesus. And so once Jesus is baptized, he begins his earthly ministry. And John, it's so amazing. John just kind of fades into the background because his ministry was to get the nation ready for Jesus. And once he does, and Jesus starts, and the people are starting to follow Jesus, John is happy to just kind of fade away because he loved Jesus and his life was all about him. And it's important to understand, for a long time, John was the biggest preacher in Israel. I mean, everybody went to hear him. Everybody went to see him. He was like the most popular pastor, if you will. But the second Jesus starts his ministry, John is totally happy to step away and say, nope, everybody follow him. Look to him. Don't follow me. Follow Jesus. I love his heart. He's so humble. And he just backs out and lets Jesus take over. And then John kind of disappears from the gospel narrative for a while. We don't hear from him, but his story picks up later in the Gospels. And by the end of his life, things are not going well for John. He's actually in prison. He's in prison because he rebuked and denounced the ruler of his area, and the ruler threw him in prison. There wasn't things like freedom of speech. And John's in prison, and it's not going well. He is really beginning to doubt his faith. He's beginning to doubt if Jesus is the Messiah. And he's like, have I wasted my life serving this guy? Did I waste my life? Was it all for nothing? And so John sends two of his followers to Jesus to ask him, hey, John wants to know Jesus. Are you the one? Are you really the one? Were you the one who was supposed to come? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm it. Go tell John. And then Jesus, when he tells those guys, yeah, I'm it, this is when he tells the crowd who's there among those born of women, nobody's greater than John the Baptist. And so I like to think that those disciples heard that and went and told John. I hope they did. But it doesn't end well for John. He stays in prison, and actually he's ultimately beheaded. And so his life ends pretty sadly. Um, but it's, it's pretty cool to see when Jesus gets the news that John died, Jesus is destroyed. He is so upset because Jesus loved John. Jesus knew John was the forerunner, and Jesus is so grieved when he hears about John dying. And that's the story of John the Baptist. That's who he was in kind of a quick uh, description of who he was. So the question is, Jesus says he's the greatest guy ever. So what makes him so great? I mean, how, how did John the Baptist bypass Moses and David and Isaiah and all these great people? What made John the Baptist so great in God's eyes? I would say four main things made John the Baptist great. Number one would be... Um, Oh, there we go. I'm getting used to this thing. Sorry. It's on the back wall. Y'all see me. It's a free service. Calm down. You know, we're not charging you. We're not professionals. So John, his greatest strength was that John was so passionate for Jesus. He was so passionate for Jesus. He loved Jesus more than anything. And John's gospel, chapter 3, John describes himself as a bride and that Jesus was his bridegroom. He loved Jesus more than anything. All of his love and affection and devotion 
were for Jesus, were for his Savior. The second reason John was great is that John was a person of prayer. John ate, slept, and breathed prayer. You know, we talked about how he goes and lives in the desert. He went out to the desert to pray and find God. And if you want to be a prophet, you are a person of prayer. He prayed all the time. His life was spent seeking the face of God and intimacy and crying out intercession. He was a giant of prayer. Thirdly, John was great because he was radically committed to the mission of the gospel. I mean, John was all about telling everybody he could that Jesus was coming and get ready. And think about it. John, he literally had nothing. He had no clothes. He had a belt. That's it. He didn't, we don't know if he had a home. He had no money. He sold everything to serve Jesus. He was radically committed to the mission of the gospel and making Jesus known and letting everybody know that the Messiah was coming. And lastly, John brought heaven to earth. That was his mission, was to bring that realm into this realm. I mean, John literally prepared the way for Jesus to come and to start his ministry. Jesus came from heaven. The ultimate expression of heaven coming to earth was Jesus on the earth, and John prepared the way for that to happen. His mission was to bring heaven to earth, and that's what he did. And so those four reasons, that's why John was so great. Now, I like to also think Jesus had his own reasons for liking John so much. He doesn't give us all the details. But Jesus said, this is the greatest guy who's ever lived up until that point in history. That's incredible to think about. Now, here's the thing. The question is, okay, that's great. That's John the Baptist. Sounds awesome. Kind of a weird guy, but okay. But what does this have to do with you and me? Like, how does this intersect with your life and my life? Why are we talking about this? All right. To understand this, we have to go back to our first scripture in Matthew chapter 11. Let me read the whole thing to you again. Jesus said, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. But look at this phrase, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. It says greater than he. Okay, so this is pretty cool. What Jesus is saying here is like, okay, John the Baptist, greatest guy ever lived up until this point. But what Jesus is telling us is, once he has gone to the cross and risen from the dead, all of his followers now are greater than John the Baptist. All right, this is a comparative verse. The first half is John is great, but Jesus is comparing us to John saying, and my followers after the cross and resurrection are gonna be greater in my eyes than even John was. That's an amazing thing that God is saying about you and me. If you're a follower of Jesus, in, your, in his eyes, we are greater than even John the Baptist was. That's what Jesus is saying, that in God's eyes, you and I are greater than even John the Baptist. And like I said, this is all because post-cross and resurrection. What you got to understand is for John the Baptist, okay, even though he's in the New Testament, he's in the Gospels, he is an Old Testament prophet. So because before Jesus dies and rises from the dead, the Mosaic Law, the Old Covenant, was still in place. And John dies during that time. But once Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the dead, everything shifted everything changed and we're now under grace and under the new covenant and because of christ's death and resurrection we are now great but here's the thing you and i are not great in god's eyes because of anything of us you know we kind of define greatness as you've got great ability you've got great accomplishments or you've got great power that is not how god defines greatness we are great in god's eyes 
only and wholly because of Jesus. It's because Jesus, what he says about us, what he did for us, and what he gives us makes us great in God's eyes. And we receive all of that because of the cross and the resurrection. All right, because of the cross and resurrection, what God says about us is he calls us his beloved, that we are his favorite kid, every single one of us. And what he did for us when he died, when we put our faith in him, he forgives us and he saves us. And once we're his followers, he gives us his righteousness and the Holy Spirit. And you put all that together, that's why Jesus says we are greater in his eyes than John the Baptist. That we are greater even than John the Baptist. And I can tell you, my resume of following Jesus, it is filled with sin and mistakes and all sorts of things. I'm like, man, I don't think I even compare to that guy. And in and of myself, I don't. But because of Jesus and the cross and resurrection, I'm greater than John the Baptist, and so are you. And here's what's important to understand. We all have a desire. We, I mean, I think if we genuinely love God, we want to be great for him, not for our glory. I'm not saying that, but like we want to serve him well. We want to love him well. We want to make him known. We want to do great at it. But the thing is, we don't strive for greatness as Christians. We live from it. We're not seeking and striving to be great in God's eyes. We're already there. We live out of the greatness of Jesus. And the reason we do that is because that makes life a lot more fun and following Jesus a lot more delightful. We don't strive to be great for God. We live out of Jesus' greatness. And that's how God wants us to live. And that's who he has called us to be. And so really understand, in God's eyes, you and I, we are greater than John the Baptist. Only and wholly because of Jesus and what he says about us, what he did for us, and what he gives us. And so we just live out of the greatness that Jesus has given us that is based on him. And the way we live that out, it's real simple. We just need to do what John the Baptist did. All right, we just need to be like him. So for us to, be, to live out of that greatness, we just gotta have great passion for Jesus, just like John, that he needs to be our first love and our affection and our love are devoted to him. That's who we're called to be, that we be passionate about Jesus above everything else. Secondly, that we continue to be people of prayer, that you and I, as followers of Jesus, that prayer would be our top priority and our first job, that we would seek God in intercession and intimacy. That's who we're supposed to be. And thirdly, we just need to be people radically committed to the gospel, whether that's here at Martha Bowman, in your family at home, in the mission field, your job, wherever it is, that we are radically committed to the spread of the gospel like John. And lastly, we bring heaven to earth every day in what we do. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, on earth as it is in heaven. And that's really our mission, that we bring heaven here, that we bring that realm into this realm. And that we want to be like John the Baptist and do that and bring heaven here. And we just do these four things just like John did. He was the greatest guy Jesus ever said, and we're now all greater than him. And we want to live like John and live out of the greatness of Jesus that he's called us to be, that we already have. We don't strive to greatness. We live from it. All right, let me close with this. And the band, you guys can come back up. We're going to have a closing song in a second. All of us as people, we just have an innate desire. We want to be great at something. That's just a human nature. We all like to be great at something. Whether it's we want to be great at our job, we want to be a great spouse, a great parent, we want to be great at an instrument or some type of skill. We just have this desire to be great, and that's cool. God's put that in us. But it's pretty neat to think about 
that we are already great in God's eyes. Basically, we're already great at our faith and our relationship with Jesus. We're already great at the most important part of our life because of Jesus. That's really cool, and that's really important to understand. Our faith and our relationship with Jesus is the most important part, the top part of our life. And we're already great at it and great in it because of Jesus. And so just know that we live from the greatness God has given us. We don't strive for it. We live from it. And when we do, life is a lot more fun. Life is a lot more easier. Following Jesus is a much better and bigger delight than we could ever imagine. And God has fulfilled that deep longing in our heart to be great by making us great in him. So we're going to close with a song, and I'm going to pray for us in just a second. And there's no real like specific response to this message. Um, really what I want you to understand is just to go from here today knowing and believing this about yourself, what Jesus says about you. Um, there's nothing really to do. It's just to live in it and believe it and know it. Okay? And so if you want to come down to the altar, you're welcome to. There's not really a specific altar call. You're welcome to stay at your seat. I'm going to invite you all to stand up in a second as we sing this last song. And just respond however you need to. Come down front. Stay where you are. It's okay. But anyway, if you would, let me pray.